We're glad to have you here. You always think about these special days, right? And kind of wonder to yourself, okay, do we win or lose in this proposition? Some people go elsewhere and some people come to visit here. I just want you to know it's good to see you today. Even if I don't know every name, thank you for making the effort to come and be with your family and, and on this special day and to recognize fathers. It, it is a special day, it really is. And Mother's Day, Father's Day, I'm really glad we have those special emphases that we take time out for. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 15, where we were a few moments ago. I can honestly say I've got uh, the first one of, I think it was the first one in Bob's list of 10 covered. It said you should always treat your children as if the preacher were there. <laughs> and I, I just heard that one and I said, I'm, I'm off the hook. I've got that, got that one covered. Probably a few more I might not have covered. I'm going to direct your attention to just a couple verses now. Sometimes what we've done in this series that we've been doing on Sunday morning is look at just the one verse that is kind of the focal point, but this morning's message is different, so I want to direct your attention to four verses, and I hope what you'll do is you hear these four verses reread. I hope you'll kind of look for a comparison, um, and uh, that'll be interesting, I think, for us. First of all, let me direct your attention to verse 12. Now notice here it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Luke 15, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. So we'll stop there. Let's see if we get a comparison here now when we look at the other two verses and we look at verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. We're going to drop down to verse 28 and read just the first phrase, and he was angry. And we'll stop right there and I'm going to ask you if you'll join me. We'll have a word of prayer together and then we'll look into God's word for today. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything that we understand of fatherhood, especially that which we understand to be good, comes from you. The, the pattern is in the very Godhead. We thank you that we have that pattern to go by and have your word to flesh it out for us. And Father, we all aspire to be better fathers, to be grandfathers, those of us who are men, those who are young men here today and aren't fathers yet. I pray, Father, that you would just put within them a burning desire to one day be a father and to be a good father, to take all of those things that they've learned from their fathers that have been good and true and put them into practice and all of the things that they've heard over the years from God's word to learn and hide in their hearts and put them into practice. And, Father, we think of that promise that's given to us in the Bible. and Sometimes it seems elusive to us, but it talks about train up thy child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. We ask you, Father, to bless the truths that we have over the years labored to inculcate and instill into the hearts of our children and bless them today, wherever they are. If they could join us, we thank you for that. If they can't join us, we pray you'll bless them where they are. And for each of us who is here, I pray, Father, that you would just open our hearts now to your word. We thank you for this special story from your word. We thank you for the way we have the opportunity to have an emphasis on Father's Day from it. I pray, Father, you would just give me liberty, freedom, insight, and practicality and warmth as God's word is preached today. I pray, Father, that you would once again cleanse my heart of any sin. Just give to me, Father, that cleansing and the sense of your presence that I need to be a useful vessel in your hands today. Be with every child of God who's here, Lord. We all come with needs, spoken some and many unspoken. And uh, be also, Father, with anybody who might be here today that might not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Uh, may they sense the Father's love in this story today and help us to always remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we'll thank you for these blessed truths as we rehearse them over again today. In Jesus' holy and wonderful name, amen. Well, as I said before, it's only fitting, really, that we take a little time away from our regular Sunday morning service and do something in favor of Father's Day. I'm sort of a believer in that. Uh, my oldest son said something interesting recently. He said that at their church, back when Mother's Day happened, he said they decided they would cancel the service that evening. And I kind of understand where they're coming from on that because you get these days and many, many times families get together and they have such little such amount of time sometimes to be together, and some of them don't come back to the evening service. And he said, but I don't really know that we should be doing those things. He said, I haven't seen them give off Father's Day Sunday evening yet. 
And uh, so I kind of thought, well, that's okay. We can uh, sort of overlook that. But this year's for Father's Day, I would like to bring you a message that I've entitled An Amazing Father. And of course, we're taking advantage of a very familiar story. You know, as I have read this, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've read this story. This is probably the most famous of Jesus' parables. Maybe second to it would be the story of the prodigal, uh, not the story of the prodigal son, which this is, but the uh, story of the Good Samaritan. These are probably the two most well-known stories that Jesus told. And you find many people in all walks of life, um, even people who are not Christians who nevertheless know about these stories. They are reflections of the fact that Jesus was a master teacher. And that's something that I just I keep on being impressed as I, as I read the Gospels. And we have been looking at this Sunday morning series together about questions that people ask Jesus. And as you think more and more about Jesus' skill, I, I don't know any other way to put it than just to, to express it in human terms. Jesus' skill as a teacher, it just incredibly amazes to see the, 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 the true life touches that he was able to put on his teaching. And there's so much of that here. And I read these things, and the more I read them, the more I take them personally. And I mean that in the good sense. In other words, I see things that apply to me. And so as I was thinking about and felt directed by God to this particular story for today, I got no further, really, than that very first phrase. Verse number 11, it says, A certain man had two sons. And it stopped. Because I have two sons. And immediately I started thinking about this and looking for those things that applied. So I want to bring you a message this morning that I've entitled, An Amazing Father. Think about it. We tend to hear lots of sermons from this passage, but more often than not, and sometimes even in the reading of the Scripture, we don't even read the part at the end because in truth it says exactly as it is, it is true, as exactly as it says in verse number 11, he had two sons. And most of the sermons that we hear have to do with the prodigal, and we don't really do very much with the story of the older son, which is exactly why I read the verses as I did and asked you to look for a contrast, because in the first two verses it talked about the younger son, and a lot more is given about that. But the story really isn't complete until you get to the end and we hear about the older son. This comes, of course, from understanding exactly what Jesus was doing in the context. Let's look at that now. Back up to the first part of the chapter, and you'll see here what's really going on in Luke chapter 15. is not just an isolated story, but rather there are three stories here, and they're all meant to illustrate a particular point that arose out of criticism that Jesus took. Verse number 1 says, Then drew near unto him the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And so Jesus is responding to that criticism. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. This is kind of an interesting word, receive, because it has the connotation of welcome. And so they derided him. In another place, they called him a friend of publicans and sinners. Well, you can be thankful for that today because we've got a room full of sinners in here today. And if God were not our friend, where would we be today? So these stories have a way of reaching our hearts. And unfortunately, sometimes in our churches, we also get the counterpart to that. We get some people who act like Pharisees. They're smug, they're cold, they're indifferent, they're snooty, they're hypercritical. And that's what happened. These Pharisees, these religionists, these people who uh, had all kind of external trappings of religion about them were, criti were criticizing Jesus because he welcomed these people to come and to listen to him. At times, he sat down and ate with them. It had nothing to do with condoning their lifestyle. You, you can never reach that conclusion from reading what Jesus has to say. But to have a heart that loves sinners, he definitely had that. And so this is the setting of this story, and there are actually three it's meant to illustrate the heart of God. And you know, of course, what the first one is. There's a, a man who, he's a, who's a shepherd. And I've often said this as I've read this story, how few people really understand a shepherd's heart. I can talk about that because that's what God calls you to be. If you're a pastor, that's exactly what you are as a shepherd. And very few people really understand a shepherd's heart. 
But in this particular story, he loses one of the hundred he has and leaves the 90 and 9, goes into the wilderness and looks for the one that was lost. And when he's found it, what does he do? He rejoices, calls his friend to, to share his joy because he's found that one lost sheep that belonged to him. He told another story. He said there was a woman who had 10 silver pieces. So whether this was just money in a purse, like we sometimes have a coin purse, or whether these were silver pieces that made up some type of a maybe like a necklace or something like that. We're not totally told what that is. We just know that she loses one of them. And you can readily identify. You think about how down-to-earth, how practical these stories are. You can readily identify with this woman. She has ten, she loses one, and she's lost all thought for the nine till she can find that one. And when she finds that one, what does she do? She calls her friends to come in and rejoice with her and says, I found the one that I lost. And then he tells the story that we've read this morning about a man who had two sons. There's so much to learn in the interaction between the father and these two boys. That's why I called the message this morning an amazing father. There is so much to learn. And I hope we can just skim the surface and, and find a couple of things that we can take away today that will be an encouragement to us. There's so much to learn about life. There's so much to learn about God. There's so much to learn about life's relationships. And as we look through this morning, there are three things that I want to do as we move down through to sort of develop what I've set before you. And that is, first of all, to note the problems, and then we'll note the responses. That's, that's really, if you stop, want to stop and think about this, everybody has problems. It's how you respond to them that really matters. So the father had some problems, but it was his response. And hence I say the interaction between the father and these two boys who were very different. All right? And then finally we get to the end and talk just maybe a few moments, not a lot. Don't need to spend a lot of time with this talking about the father's motivations in all of this. Talking about problems, how amazingly true to life. Talk about real life touches. I mean, before you ever get anywhere with this, you realize, you know... This is the way it is in life. Because our children don't come perfect, do they? In fact, everything we can understand about them is they come with a sin nature. And as soon as they're able to really understand and make choices, they act on that nature. And so each of us is a sinner by nature and by choice. And our children certainly prove that to us. If anything, our children don't don't just prove it to us about them, they prove it to us more about us. The fact that we're sinners both by nature and by choice. No one gets through life who raises children unscathed. Everybody has certain challenges. Everybody has certain problems. Did you hear the story about the man? I'm not sure if he was a pastor or what, but he had five children and he thought to himself, you know, I don't see what all this hubbub is about. He had four kids, and they seemed to be picture perfect, and didn't seem to be any problems in the world. And he thought to himself, why do so many people complain about problems raising children? And why do so many people always need to come and counsel and, and all this type of thing? And then they had the fifth. And he was a piece of work. And that undeal all of a sudden, that was a real eye-opener as to exactly why people had struggles and challenges in raising children in truth, though we tend to concentrate in most of our preaching on the younger son, both of these boys had issues. They had different issues, but they both had issues. Think about the younger son for a moment. What type of issues did he have? Well, if we go back and see what it was that Jesus was illustrating, this is the one now that deals with people. Before you had sheep and you had coins, but now you have people. They were criticizing Jesus because he welcomed sinners sat down and had fellowship with them, had a heart for sinners. And so when we identify who is who in this particular story, this younger son is meant to be representative of the publicans and sinners. And so when you think about this younger son, that immediately helps us to understand some of the issues that he had. He was rebellious. He was hard-headed. And he was bent as quickly as he could from getting out under his father's rules. I really don't know what kind of rules his father had, but his father certainly had an ordered household. You get some idea of this when you listen to the older boy in verse number 28, where it says he was angry and would not go in. Verse number 28, 
But also then in verse 29, look at it, it says, And answering said to his father, Lo, these many years have I served thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy, what's the next word? Commandment. So it's pretty clear that this father was a well-off man. He had an estate, a farm of some kind. He was well-off enough to have servants. He, the older son also refield, refers to the field. He came in out of the field. And so those boys were obviously trained to work in the field, and it's clear enough that the father had various standards, and he had a well-thought-out home. But you know what? It didn't really matter how well-thought-out it was. It didn't really matter how much wisdom in that sense he had as a father for the way he set up his home. And had he had a boy who chafed under those rules and didn't want to be under those rules and came to his father as soon as he was of sufficient age and said, Father, give me that portion which belongs to me. And as soon as he got that, as quickly as he could, he left. And the Bible tells us he went into a far country. He wanted to get as far away from all of that as he could. So he had his own problems. And sometimes we have children like that. Sometimes we have to deal with children like that who just for whatever reason, it doesn't matter how good, how careful I'm sure that most of you, as you reflect on it, you think to yourself, well, I can think of things my father did wrong. Well, I can think of things my father did wrong, and I can think of things I did wrong. But I know my wife and I, as we got ready to raise children, put a lot of thought into how we ordered our home. And even though salvation in our family, that is among with my mom and dad and, and then us siblings, there were four of us, didn't really hit until later in life. Still, I look back and I say to myself, you know, God gave me obviously just the home that he intended for me to have. Even though real Bible salvation didn't hit until a later time, my dad was a Marine. He had the right kind of values. We grew up with that kind of stuff. We, we knew he wasn't perfect, but he was a good father, and I had, all, I had all kinds of respect for him, and he only became a better father when he became born again. So it doesn't really matter sometimes how careful you are. Um, actually, as I think back on it, you could kind of reverse the older son and the younger son, and if you were looking for the stereotype in our home, you had it more that way. My brother was sort of the one who chafed under the rules a little bit, and it never really was that way so much with me, but just like in this story, we each had our issues. In this particular case, the younger son was that type of an individual. Now think about the older son for a moment. He represents the Pharisees. And boy, he's pretty true to life because although he has the appearance, all the way through the story, we don't hear anything about him. We hear about the younger son, and he had the, the glaring, obvious problems that you hear about all the time. The one that's rebellious goes out and gets into all kinds of trouble. When I was a kid growing up, the term you used for that was Hellraiser. The one that goes out and gets in and breaks the rules. The cops are after them. They're riding their motorcycle down the boardwalk. You know, whatever it is, they're, they're just, uh, <laughs> they just seem to have a little bit of that in them. And uh, the older son's not that way at all. He, he's kind of the one who's picture perfect. You look at him, you don't see anything wrong because it's all under the surface. But boy, that night that he comes home out of the field and he hears that music and dancing and wonders what on earth is going on and asks the servant and the servant says your younger brother has come back your father is rejoicing because he's received him back safe and sound and he's angry and all of a sudden it dawns on us exactly what's going on here that although he has looked to be the model son although he has given all the external appearances of being picture perfect he proves to be prideful you listen to how he talks to his father. He says, all these years have I served you. And no doubt he was thinking in his own mind about how he had just year after year uh, racked up more things on the list of being Mr. Goody Two-Shoes and was proud of that. And all these years have I served you. And now he's, he's angry over this and he's self-righteous and he's resentful. Do you hear it coming out, the anger and the resentment that comes out when he says, all these years, and you never even so much as gave me, and do you notice this is kind of an interesting touch. He says, a kid. Did you notice that? The kid was a goat. 
So there's a, a little bit of a, a point of resentment and maybe even some sarcasm coming out in this, some cynicism. He says, all these years I've been here, never broke your rules, never took what you gave me and used it on riotous living, never went and sullied the, never went and sullied the family reputation in your name, and you never so much as even gave me an old goat that I could call my friends and have a party. Now he has come home and you've broken out the fatted calf. Oh, it just, it, just, it just oozes out. And all of a sudden we realize, wow, he's got all kinds of problems. In fact, you think to yourself, I'm not so sure his problems weren't more difficult to deal with. Because what you get into here, folks, is you get into a little bit of this contrast between the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit. And we have a way of concentrating so many, many times. It's those sins of the flesh that, that seem to be so high profile. And I think sometimes even in our churches we do this. You know, if you do a certain thing, you're really in trouble. And there's a sense in which that's understandable because that's a, it's a visible, seen thing. But you can gossip and you can have a, a bad attitude and you can talk about people and be critical and be self-righteous. And somehow that seems to just go right under the radar and no one seems to really condemn that kind of thing. So here's the bottom line before we move to the next point. Don't you agree? It is going to take a lot of wisdom to handle these two boys. So do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's a challenge. I, I can't help but be tickled. You know, I remember my wife and I weren't married. I can, I can picture exactly where we were in the car riding down the road. I can't remember if we were engaged at that point. But we had one of those little discussions, you know, where you're just trying to sound the other one out on a point that maybe you're thinking. And I said, what about children? And somehow the subject that I was really interested in was, um, well, you have four in your family. We have, how many do you think we should have? You have four in your family, and we have four in our family. So four sounds like a good number. And she said three. And I just thought to myself, well, that's not worth fussing over. When we get to three, she'll see I'm right. <laughs> well, we got to three, and I said, I think you're right. I never said another word about it. You know, I like, that, I like that verse in the Psalms where it talks about the fact that uh, blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. And I quickly realized, you know, some folks have a different size quiver. And in our little contest we had here this morning, those folks were standing up with 25 children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. I will never win that contest, but I don't aspire to. I'm glad some folks are called to do that. But I could have never handled it. And I had my hands full with three. And that's the way I... But it was going to take a lot of wisdom, wasn't it? To deal with those situations. So let's see how he responds. See, although we realize in this story the father is meant to represent God, it's still true that on the human level this father couldn't have played... Excuse the worldly expression, but he couldn't have played his hand any more effectively than he did. He, he's just point on with everything he says and everything he does. With his younger son, number one, he is wise enough. I want to give you three things to show his wisdom with that younger son. He's wise enough, first of all, to know when to let him go. And there's some people that can never figure that out. It's like I was saying a while ago. No matter how good your rules are in your home, no matter how well you've ordered your home, no matter how many things you think you're doing right, your kids go to church, they're in Sunday school, all those types of things, no matter how many things you think you're doing right, there comes a point in time in the life of some children, and especially in the life of one like this, where he just he chafed under those rules. He's, we, we find this out in verse number 12, when right away in the story, Jesus doesn't waste any time. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. He, he didn't quarrel with it. He didn't say anything more to it. He was smart enough to figure out that no matter how good his instruction had been, no matter how good his rules were, sometimes it's just going to take other people in the lives of our children, other places, other events. And how wise the person is who figures that out and doesn't resent it. I mean, it would be wonderful if you had the book and knew everything. 
I mean, I guess we're all idealistic enough to hope it might be that way and want that it might be that way. But looking back honestly, ask yourself this question. How often did God use someone else in the life of your child? And that person may very well have been instrumental. Oh, he used you, all right. You laid the foundation. You did all the work. It's, I think, a little bit like the relationship that a pastor has to the church and an evangelist because, you know, you're there day in and day out when you're the pastor and you're doing all the grunt work day in and day out. You're there. You're, you're staying there all the time. You're, you're, you're counseling. You're doing whatever it is that has to be done. And you're preaching all these same things. And then the evangelist comes in. I used to wonder about this when I was a younger preacher. The evangelist comes in and says the same thing you say. They're not really saying it any different. It gives the invitation and the altar's full. And I'm thinking to myself... Somebody's roof leaks. What's going on here? And then all of a sudden I realized, well, you know, he gave some pastors and some evangelists and some prophets and teachers, and he did that for a reason. Sometimes they just need to hear a different voice. And he was smart enough to let the boy go. Had he, had he tried to restrain him at this point, it was only going to make the problem that he sensed that his son had worse. So he was wise enough to know when to let him go and to know that God was going to bring him into some set of circumstances, some place, some set of circumstances, and some people, and they were all involved when you think about it. Because he had his friends for a while. And then he didn't have his friends anymore when he didn't have his money anymore. And he sold out as a Jewish boy to some guy that sent him out to feed pigs. Those were unclean animals to a Jew. No man gave unto him. He didn't have a friend in the world. So all of those circumstances God used. Number two, he was wise enough not to burn bridges. Verse number 12, verse number 13, verse 13 says, And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Don't you suspect that the father knew that was going to happen? I'm sure he did. I'm sure it hurt him. I'm sure that's why every day he looked for that boy. That's why you get another true life touch in this, that, that while he was yet a long ways off, it tells us in verse number 19, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Because why? Because undoubtedly every day the old man walked out to look to see, is this going to be the day? Is this going to be the day? Someday he's coming back. Someday God is going to use the right people, the right place, the right circumstances, and someday he's coming home. But the thing about it is, had the father not been wise enough to let him know when to let him go and not to burn his bridges with that boy, to give him the money and say, it's yours. If you must go, go. And didn't burn bridges with the boy, you'll notice verse number 18, he would have never had this boy come back, when that boy hit rock bottom and realized that he had no other friend in the world that was greater than his father, he would never have said this, I will arise and go to my father. No, if his father had dissed him, if his father had burnt bridges with him, do you realize the father would have never heard those words? Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. He would have never had that boy come back because he would have created a, a barrier there that couldn't be bridged. He would have burnt the bridges and they could not have been crossed. Number three, he was wise enough to forgive. Do you notice the young man, when he gets to the bottom, comes to himself, he has a speech all prepared. You can notice this. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. You know, the boy has it right. This is not superficial. This is genuine repentance. He has it right. He says, I've sinned against heaven. That's always the greatest crime of sin. He says, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And now he starts to deal with the personal relationships. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. But you'll notice he doesn't even get to say the full speech. 
Verse 21 says, The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. He doesn't get a chance to say anything about make me as one of thy hired servants because right away his father's heard enough to know. He's already said everything the father needs to hear. I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. He knows the boy's repentant. He has to hear that. But in those words... He has heard what he needs. He doesn't need to hold a grudge. He doesn't need to extract another pound of flesh. He doesn't need to listen to him ring out every last word of humiliation. He just cuts him off. Because long ago, he's already made up his mind to forgive. It's just waiting the time for the relationship to be restored. He could have held a grudge, but his son would have been lost to him forever. His father would never have been able to say, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Never. Now let's think about the older son for a moment. How did the father respond to him? In this case, two things the father was wise enough to do. Number one, he was wise enough to hold his tongue. You ever figure out how hard that is sometimes? Verse 28 says, And he was angry. Well, it's not easy, is it? I mean, really, when you're the father and he knew he was in the right, this boy has an absolutely rotten, stinking attitude. And now he's going to be angry and impudent with his father. Well, I'm sure we've all learned something in life, and that is that Anger begets anger. Somehow it has a way of ratcheting up. And the moment it starts to do that, you've lost control of it and you've lost. You've just lost the minute that happens. Because the wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. Which is exactly why James says, My beloved brethren, let every man be slow to speak, slow to wrath. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So when this boy was angry and started mouthing off to his father, had the father ratcheted the thing up at that point, which I'm sure he was capable, I'm sure he had a temper just like all the rest of us have a temper. But you know, the Proverbs tell us that a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up what? Finish the verse. Do you know it? Anger. So had he returned grievous words for grievous words, this anger would have just ratcheted up. He's not only wise enough to know that, he's disciplined enough to hold his tongue. And I'm telling you, that takes a lot. Secondly, he's wise enough to correct gently. He has to correct. He can't let this stand. What the boy is, just as Jesus doesn't let it stand with the Pharisees, they had a rotten, stinking attitude about his relationship to these people that he came to save. And it says in verse 31, And he said unto him, Son, see, there's no trace of anger, there's no trace of harsh words, nothing like that. Just son, he, and he implores him, he, he entreats him. That's what it says earlier, isn't it? Anyway, at the end of verse 28, the father came out and entreated him. He continues that here. Father, he says, son, thou art ever with me. He's reasoning with him. He's not angry. He hasn't raised his voice. All that I have is thine. It is meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother. Not my son, this thy brother. He's reminding him of the relationship. This thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Why is that a wise thing to do? Because it leaves the door open for the son to see it and respond to it. The question is, did he ever? Well, we don't know. The story ends. Maybe that's why we preach more about the prodigal. We get the happy ending. We get the thing that our souls long for. Nobody thinks about this very much. Of course, in the application in life, how many of the Pharisees repented when Jesus confronted them, just like the father did his son and entreated them? How many of them really saw the problem and realized that they were being hypocritical, realized that God has a heart for sinners of all kinds? I don't know. We're not told that in the story. 
But this father is wise enough to correct gently so that the door is always open for him to respond if he will. So folks, almost done, but I would just say at the conclusion of this section of the message, this is amazing wisdom. This is the kind that only God can give you. So in the great enterprise of being a father or a mother, being a grandfather or a grandmother, aren't you encouraged? Let's look at this. Turn to James chapter 1. Aren't you encouraged that we're told in James 1 and verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, because we just feel that so desperately. I, I, I look at this and I say, would I have had that kind of wisdom? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him, because turn the page to chapter 3, because here's what happens when we don't have that. When we go by the wisdom that we come by naturally, later in the book, James talks about what that's like. Verse 14 of chapter 3, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But, here's God's wisdom, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the, this father has tapped into a source of wisdom that is beyond what's natural, which is exactly where we need to be as parents. And you can get that from God by asking, and you can get that from God by searching this book, and you can get that from God by talking to godly people who can pass along their experiences to you, but God makes it available to us. Let's just say a quick word about motivations. Why and how did the father respond so amazingly? This is an amazing father. I hope I've convinced you of this. Well, he, there's two motivations that I would like to point out, maybe more, but these two this morning. One is, like God, he loved both sons equally. As we kind of heard that emphasis earlier, you know, they're always your children no matter what they do. And I'm sure we're all aware of some situations where it's not well. In homes, because children have done things and their parents have as much as disowned them. They don't talk to them. Well, you can't necessarily condone everything they do, that's for sure, but they always have to know you love them. They're never going to stop being your son or your daughter, no matter what they do. Jesus was trying to illustrate something by that. He was trying to illustrate that, you know, you Pharisees over here, Yes, God loves you too, but the publicans and the sinners, God loves them too. They derided him. I remember when I was in, it was still college years. It was my uh, junior year, I want to say, yes, because it was the year that I took pulpit speech. And we had, ah, oh, our teacher was just amazing. I, I just... Mm -hmm. Always think back to that class. The Lord did so much in my life through that class. But one of the things that our uh, teacher did, he, he had a church that he pastored on the weekends. And uh, so every year when it came time, you know, back in those days, I don't know if they still did this, did this or not, but they had a preaching contest. And I, I couldn't quite figure how you would have a contest with preaching, but they did it and you had to do it. So I tried to keep my aunt attitude good about this, but they'd always pick the three best out of that. And I think in those years, um, I never got to the end of it. I never got to the, that slot, but I always got right to the very one before it. And so he had us come down on a Sunday. They, had, I don't, they don't really use this expression up north, I guess, but down south, we would say had dinner on the grounds. And uh, they had dinner on the grounds that day at the church after the morning service, and he took three of us and said, I want you to preach your contest sermon. Well, there was, I won't mention his name, I can still remember it, but there was one of us, he was a year older, actually. He had a sermon, and he had it on this text, Luke seven thirty four. 
The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. That was his message, a friend of publicans and sinners. But you know, when you come to the book of Romans, God doesn't make any distinction. He says there is none righteous, no, not one. Don't say the Pharisees are righteous, but the publicans and sinners are not. He says there's none righteous. Doesn't say the publicans and the sinners haven't done good, but the Pharisees have done good. No, he says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. They're all turned out of the way, all become unprofitable. And then when he gets to the end of that chapter, he talks about the fact that we have concluded all under sin, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all, not just the publicans and sinners. And then we get to that great text that we looked at recently in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 where he said, For God commendeth, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a story I've always enjoyed every time I've come across this story, every time I've told it, I've enjoyed it, but it's a story from Spurgeon. Is one day Spurgeon was walking through the countryside with a friend, the English countryside, and they came up on a barn, not too hard to do in, in our area. But they saw the barn, and there on the top of the barn, there was a weather vane. You've seen this, this kind of thing at times. And they looked up at it, and the top of the weather vane, it, it moved with the wind because at the top of the weather vane was a little sign that had the words, God is love. And Spurgeon looked to his friend and he said, you know, he thought this was inappropriate. He didn't think that was a place to put a message like that because he said to his friend, weather vanes are changeable, but God's love is always constant. And his friend looked back to him and he said, Charles, I don't agree with you about these words. He said, you misunderstand the meaning. He said, the sign is indicating this truth that regardless of which way the wind blows, God is love. I'm so glad for that. So his first motivation was like God, he loved both sons equally. Neither were perfect. And secondly, like God, he longed for the joy of a restored relationship because they were both estranged. I want to take you back quickly over ground that we covered already, but look at verses five and six. This is what's at the heart of this story. One's about sheep, one's about coins or silver, and one's about people, but they all illustrate the same thing. Verses five and six, and when he, this is the shepherd, hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verses nine and 10, and when she found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And of course, the Lord makes the application. Verse 10, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then we get down to verse 32. When the father is speaking to the older son, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. It was all meant to illustrate the joy of restored relationships. It was what the old man was looking for every day, the day when that boy would come back and the relationship would be restored so what we can learn from this father is truly amazing, but what we can learn about God is even more amazing. One day, it was cold, and in the wintertime, a little 10-year-old boy was standing outside a shoe store, cold, shivering. He had no shoes. Standing outside that shoe store, he looked in the window at the shoes a woman noticed who was coming down the street. She walked up, she put her arm on the shoulder of the little boy and asked him what he was doing there. He said, I was asking God to give me a pair of shoes, ma'am. 
She reached down, took the boy by the hand, led him into the shoe store. They were greeted by the proprietor. She asked for two things. She said, first, whether she was known to the man or not, I don't know, but she said, first, I would like six pairs of socks. And also, if you could, I need a basin of water and a dry, clean rag. Well, the man apparently saw what was going on and went and got the basin of water first. She walked the little boy back to a room towards the back of the store where not too many people would notice and it wouldn't embarrass the boy. And the man brought her the basin of water and the towel and she began to wash the boy's feet. After she got the boy's feet cleaned up, about that time the man showed up with the socks and she reached down and she put a pair of socks on his feet. Then she told the man go and get a pair of shoes for the boy. He went and got a pair of shoes for the boy and came back and they put the shoes on and the lady looked at him and she said, no doubt, my little fellow, you feel a lot more comfortable now. She turned to leave. But the astonished kid grabbed up and caught her hand before she could get away and looking up into her face with tears in his eyes, he answered her question with this question. Ma'am, are you God's wife? See, beloved, we live in an old sin-cursed world. And it's truly amazing to see God's love. If only like that woman, we could find a way of demonstrating God's love more instead of sort of walling ourselves off from people like we tend to do, to realize that those same people that we tend to recoil from, and understandably so because God has spared us from those lifestyles and many of those things that we find repugnant, but to realize that God loves them and to find some way not to condone their sin, but to show them that we genuinely care, to show them God's love we might be able to reach a few more of them if we acted that way. He was an amazing father. God is an amazing God. Amen. Oh, Father, when we read that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all we have to do is look at ourselves against the backdrop of a story like this and realize how pitiful we are without you. But our hearts also have hope knowing that with you, even as we sang earlier, it's possible for our children, it's possible for our spouses, it's possible for the people at work, and it's possible even in this old sin-cursed world for people whether they realize it or not, to say, I saw Jesus in you. Help us if we got nothing else from the message today to realize that what we've had the opportunity to see is the heartbeat of God. A heart that's just full of love, that longs for restored relationships. Relationships that are broken because of sin. And I pray today, O oh God, that if we have anybody here who for whatever reason senses not being right with God, that might be because they've never trusted you as personal Savior. It might just be because they've wandered off, aren't living on the blessing side of things. Melt our hearts knowing that the goodness and love of God lead us to repentance. Woo us and cause our hearts to want to return to you and to love you and to be more like you and have a heart that shows the love of God to people around us. Give us wisdom in this, just like this father had wisdom. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Anybody here this morning that say, Preacher, I need just a moment before we sing where it's quiet. I need just a moment to talk to God. And I truly believe that I'm a Christian. That I know him as my personal savior. 
But I just sense some things I need to talk to him about this morning. That's what he's longing for. I long to hear my father say, I saw Jesus in you. Anybody here this morning that says, Pastor, pray. Pray for me as I have a few words with God as the service closes. I need to talk to God, get some things resolved. Anybody like that? Just slip your hand up. God bless you. Someone else? God bless you. Anyone else? Somebody here this morning that says, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. You're talking about a God that loves me no matter what I've done. Yeah. Could I pray for you? Would you say pray for me because I want to get this fixed with God? I know I need to. Soon I need to get this fixed with God. I want to be his child. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. Father, I've sinned against you and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Anybody like that this morning? I'm not going to call your name. I just want you to tell God that he's speaking to your heart and you know that and you need to get this fixed soon. Someone like that? Just slip your hand up. Anybody? Put your hand up. Let me pray. Father, in our moments of quiet, give us the grace to fix what needs fixing. Sometimes you lead us to fix things with other people with whom things aren't right. It could even be in one of our homes. It could even be that on this Father's Day, you want us to take care of business. It might be on a phone call. It might mean taking our son aside, our daughter aside, our dad aside to talk privately for a few moments. Or it might be somebody that we need to fix things with this week. But whatever it is that you have touched our hearts about, whether it's on that or something else. Thank you that you're so good to have us into your house and speak to us and touch our hearts. Who knows where we'd be if our hearts weren't sensitive and you weren't still moving in our lives. So thank you for the couple that have said, pray for me this morning and that have had a few words with you. Bless them, Lord. Give them wisdom. Give them victory. Whatever it is they raise their hand for, just give them true joy and peace as a result of whatever decision you lead them to make. And we'll thank you now. Bless us as we sing and close in Jesus' wonderful and holy name. Amen. Let's take our songbooks. We want to turn to page 100.